So NDC believes in building communities from within. So they believe in the power of entrepreneurship to like to develop generational wealth, to develop a community. So if you see someone in your neighborhood, like if I think about my neighborhood in Chicago, we didn't have a lot of businesses. You know what I mean? But if you saw a business owner, they were usually a leader in the community. They were usually doing things for their community. So it could build up the neighborhood. So they believe in that. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Often we talk about corporate experience giving entrepreneurial-minded individuals the courage to go out on their own and start something new. For Renee Dossman, decades with Fortune 500 companies like Cargill and Target provided the means and motivation to help other entrepreneurs, the ones who don't have MBAs and friends and family funding. Renee is president of the Neighborhood Development Center, a nationally lauded group that provides business services, funding, and incubator space to low-income and BIPOC entrepreneurs. NDC co-owns the Midtown Global Market in Minneapolis, which was particularly hard hit by the pandemic and its proximity to the social unrest that followed the murder of George Floyd, which occurred just blocks away. This conversation was recorded in December 2020 when Renee was not confident there would be additional federal relief for small businesses that she works with. And still, she found plenty of reason to be hopeful, thanks to generous corporate donors like her former employer Target and lots of community support. No matter what is thrown her way, Renee believes in turning obstacles into opportunities. And that goes all the way back to her childhood. I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, in, um, in Cabrini Green, which is a housing project on the north side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, it was me and my mom and single mom worked every day, was like one of the only people in our neighborhood or in our building that worked. She got up at 4.30 every morning and took the bus. And I Where'd learned my work? work ethic from her. She worked at Apex Box Company. Okay. Yeah, she worked. And I went, I used to go, my favorite memories of that is going with her to work. I don't know if they had to bring your kid to work day. I don't know. I just would go and I'd get donuts and coffee because I drank coffee as a kid, believe it or not. Really? I'd get, yeah, I totally did. Like with a ton of sugar and cream. It was crazy. (laughs) I still put in the sugar and cream. I'm like a kid, I guess. (laughs) And I just eat the donuts. I remember that. But anyway, so you know, there's a lot of people around us that didn't have a lot. And my mom instilled in me that when you have much, when you have anything, you're supposed to give. And so that, you know, Bible phrase of to whom much is given, much is required is stuck with me. And she really instilled in me um, this desire to, for education and to learn and to go. And I was, I don't know, I guess a pretty smart kid, but talked a lot, wasn't really focused. Um, and then my mom actually passed away when I was 13 oh. and I moved. Yeah. I moved to live with my brother in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, he was 18 years older than me and my other, I have two brothers. One's 18 years older and one's 11 years older. And, um, 
it was really difficult. Um, my mom and I were extremely close. My mom was an amazing woman. Um, um, yeah, didn't wow. finish school, but did a lot of great things. And so when I moved to live with my brother, I'm surrounded by all white people. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> the only white people I know are my teachers. And so it was just such a culture shock, but, um, what was your really brother? Blessed. What was your brother doing in Duluth? My brother ended up there through the Air Force. And, you know, we all grew up in Cabrini. Well, you know, he's so much older, but he moved there. It was it used to be really nice before it turned into what it turned into. Um, but yeah, so he got there through the Air Force and he met his wife there. They had kids, a family. So I moved to live with them. And um, I remember going to school and people were not very nice to me because I talked different. I was different. Um, and I just remember, and I had a teacher say that my name was weird and, um, cause my first name's Renette. So it's Renette Renee. And she was like, oh. who would name their kid Renee Renee? It was so mean. Oh. And they laughed at my accent and it was just, and then it just like, it kind of just fueled me. Like, I was like, I am not dumb. Like I, you know, I know some things. And then I just started to take school a lot more seriously. Like I was in the gifted program before. Mm-hmm. in Chicago, didn't take it seriously, um, but got started to take it seriously. And um, went, ended up being the first person in my family to go to college, finished high school, go hunters, Denfield hunters, <laughs> first person in my family to go to college at St. Scholastica. And then I had an opportunity to move down to Minneapolis and um, got a job at Cargill. And I was an accountant and I eventually became an auditor and I stayed there for almost five years. And I'll tell you, the moment when I knew it was time for me to go, <laughs> they were doing Myers-Briggs and I am an ENFP, if you know what that means. So extrovert, big thinker, all that stuff. Okay. And um, they plotted it out on the board and there I was, an outlier, big time. <laughs> yeah. And everybody looked at me because they were like, who's this? And then I was just like, maybe there's something that I should be doing differently. Like, maybe this accounting thing isn't for me. I don't enjoy it. Hmm. I only like talking to people. That's the only piece I like about it when I do audit. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, like, detail stuff, no thanks. So then I ended up getting an opportunity to go to Target, and that that set the trajectory for me right there. So what was the first job at Target? Oh, my God. It was so awesome. First of all, I met some of my three of my dearest friends at, in the training class at Target. So, and we're still friends to this day, all four of us. And so, um, so that experience, because you train for like 13 weeks or something, some crazy amount of time to become a business analyst. So that was my first job. And I bought, I was the analyst for Barbie and plush and action figures. And it was awesome. Were, were, had you been a Barbie fan growing up? Did you have Barbie uh, dolls? No, no. <laughs> No, no, I did not. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't a, I was a little bit, I would take my dolls and teach. I was one thought I was going to be a teacher uh-huh. or a lawyer. So I, I do that, but no, it was so much fun though. Like she's her own, you know, it was billion dollar business. So she's her own, got her, like, she's her own person. Like they talk about her in the first person. Like <laughs> well, she's, she's Barbie. <laughs> she's Barbie. So I bought Barbie. I bought plush. I was there in toys when Tickle Me Elmo came out. When, mm. um, Lion King. So this is totally dating me play sets. And, <laughs> yeah. So I did that. And then I 
moved to video games and TVs and VCRs. So I, I was the analyst for TVs and VCRs, which was total opposite of Barbie because Barbie was high units, low retail, and this was low units, high retail, all imported. Uh-huh. So it was just crazy. So I did that. And then I moved to cameras and photo finishing. And I was the MP manager and led a team. My first time leading a team um, was there in that capacity and loved it. They like to then move I, you around at Target. They do. They yeah. do. And like to go from Barbie to, to like in video games was so much fun because I didn't play video games really. But they were like that was when Nintendo 64 and all those things were just booming. So it was a great time to be had great leadership. Great time to be there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then I ended up finding my love, which was food. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I did bakery and then I moved to frozen food. So I bought lean cuisine and. All of that kind of stuff and and really got a taste to work with big vendors in the food business, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so did that, General Mills, Nestle, all those guys. And, and what did I, you love? about? I mean, first of all, had you always been a, a foodie? Did you like to cook and bake? What was it yes. that you enjoyed about the food category versus some of the first others? Of all, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt because anytime anybody mentions food, I just get so excited. I love to eat. <laughs> I love to eat. I love to eat. My mom and I, you know, we used to go like to, she used to take me to a restaurant and we'd go out and, oh my God, to go to Burger King at the time or McDonald's back then. But I loved eating. And I'd go, actually, when I moved to live with my brother, I'd go literally go up and down the food aisles at the grocery, like I'd go grocery shopping. I'd sign up. He has five kids. I signed up to go to the, gro- I want to go to the grocery store. I'd make the list, go up and down the aisles, looking at all the new things. Like, oh, this is new. I didn't see this the last time. Can we try it? And then I used to bake, which is I don't do now, but I loved it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything about food. Here's the real test, Renee, given that you're a Chicago native. Are you a deep dish pizza person? I know. Right. I should be. No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so not. But I tell you what, I'm a a Chicago dog, Polish sausage, fried pork chop sandwich girl, but no. All that. Okay. I, I, no. So so eventually you kept climbing the ranks and got to a place where you were in charge of innovation and trends and yeah. you're, you're literally traveling the world for Target. Yes. What was that like? Oh my God. It was so like it was so much fun and it was it was humbling, you know, because a girl from Cabrini on a plane heading to London to look at food trends with the whole team of buyers and SVPs. And it was humbling leading the way, like, this is where we got to go planning the trips. Um, I remember I went to my, our SVP at the time in grocery. And I said, I think there's an opportunity for us to do more within this space, like to, to get to market faster, to find like, to, to like trends are so well done in other parts of target there's an opportunity for us to do that more of that in food. And they created a position for me mm. um, with a person that I'll, I'll, that was a great mentor to me at that time. And so, yeah, so it was just, it was surreal. And it was also, you know, you got to sell yourself. You got to sell your ideas, you know, and there were mistakes. Like the thing I'll say is there were so many times I made so many different mistakes. Like, like I remember, what? like, oh my gosh, like when I was the buyer for, <laughs> when I was the buyer for play sets is what we call them. Mm-hmm. I bought so many Lion King play sets that I think, cause it was so big. I don't know if anybody remembers, but it was so big. 
And the thing about kids is they lose interest really quick. Mm -hmm. So it can be so hot and you can't get enough. And then all of a sudden they're like, "Eh, I'm not interested. I had so many. I seriously think if you looked in a Target warehouse right now, you'd see Lion King face that somewhere. (laughs) I still still think they're there. How, how How do you get through those mistakes and own them and move on? Oh, well, not let them get you down. Oh, no, I own them right away because it's all in the learning, right? Like it's all in the pursuit. And, you know, if you have more home runs than strikeouts, you know, you're okay. But I I think, you know, we rooted a lot of our um, trend. You know, it sounds it was definitely glamorous. It was definitely fun, but it was a lot of hard work. So we did a lot of research. And Target's, you know, data-driven. So you needed to have some, the best, as best you could put data together mm-hmm. for people on um, what's trending, what we're seeing, what's happening in the competition. Oh, my God, we'd be in these stores taking all these pictures and trying not to get caught and <laughs> buying all these samples. We'd buy all these samples and take pictures of them and try things and go to restaurants and try six different things so we could just, oh, my God, I was huge. <laughs> is there is there you were huge oh you mean like size wise like literally like <laughs> big girl <laughs> i thought you just meant like with power you were huge no <laughs> the influence no. in the industry is there a, a a trend like when you walk down the aisles of super target today is there a brand or or a category that you still look at and smile and think i brought this here oh my god oh yeah, there is like, there's a couple things like I we did when I first started doing the trends. I actually worked in the snacks, like I um, worked in snacks mm-hmm. and helped in the snacks on the snacks team. Um, and so we did all the trail mixes, all the nuts. You know, modeled that to be honest with you after Trader Joe's because they had an amazing um, nuts and trail mix. And mm-hmm. so the fact that I still see Monster Mix out there, which was one of the things that we brought in at that time, like a lot of those things are still there. And the other day, oh my God, I was watching and it was a great Target ad and they had the popcorn and mm-hmm. we brought in um, the the popcorn, that popcorn for holiday. Like we did holiday too. We did all the food okay. gifts in there. So I mean, I yeah. already, I already was a huge fan of you, <laughs> but popcorn and that monster trail mix, two of my absolute favorites. Now that I know that really that has your name written all over it. That's huge. Yeah. But let's be honest, like the, the food product development team is amazing. Those food scientists are on point. You know, mm-hmm. me, I'm just like, let's taste. Oh, it tastes good to me. Let's do it. And they're like, oh, no, <laughs> we got to test this. But yeah, it was a great job. And and they built out the food kitchen. Food became a bigger part of Target, as you well know. And I worked mm-hmm. on um, putting the food into the super in the to regular Targets, which they called the pea fresh at the time. And so it was just fun. It was fun. So but so it it feels like a dream job, but at a certain oh point God. you decide to to move on. You actually went to another grocery chain. I did. I did. So I you know, I had been at Target for over 20 years, 21 years. And I just was like, I, I would go to food stores, shows like the fancy food show in New York and, and in San Francisco. And it was coming up again. And I was like, do I really want to go to another food? Like, do I, I want to try something different? Like, I want to be stretched in a different way. The design team, the, we had designers on our team that had done a phenomenal space in the seasonal space, um, in the seasonal world. And so, it's like, I want to do something different. And my old, one of my old bosses called and said, 
hey, what do you think? Um, I'm doing some stuff down here in Florida with um, Southeastern Grocers, Winn-Dixie and Bilo. They got a new CEO coming in. They want to shake things up. They want to be disruptive. They're, they're like not doing well. So they're going to, you know, they're going to take a risk. And that excited me, the building of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. I love that. That's what we did at food. Like it was, you know, five super targets and now there's hundreds, right? right so it right. was just the building of it that I love. And um, I'm like, yeah. And so I talked to my husband, Ben. Um, and I said, I think I want to try this. And he was like, of course you do. Why wouldn't you go Mm -hmm. for it? So I, um, moved down to Florida. So he, he was supportive, but, but yet he, he had a job that kept him here. You weren't going to move your life. No, we weren't going to move. So Ben and I, um, Ben started a nonprofit for homeless men, Affirmation House, and it's been like 15 years. So he was doing that work. And at the time, we were contemplating opening a restaurant. And actually, while I was in Florida, we opened up the restaurant Fat Chance. And I'll tell you about that. But we, um, yeah, so he stayed here and I moved there. It was in Jacksonville. And I met just amazing people. And I got to work with the boss that I admired, like that taught me. He was my first boss. He was my bakery. He was the bakery senior buyer when I was at Target. So my first boss in food knew so much about food, taught me so much. So he, um, so he was there and I went there as the VP of bakery. Mm-hmm. Again, there you go. Eating baked goods. It was awesome. <laughs> but the organization, they were so hungry because they were not doing well. Like Publix mm-hmm. was eating them for lunch. Mm-hmm. And so they were open to trying anything. And there's a, um, they were in a not great part of Jacksonville, their headquarters before they moved. Um, they moved, they ended up building a new or moving to a new headquarters space. And there was a store down the street and it was basically an African-American store, but it didn't have any foods that you would like that many African-Americans eat, like greens. It didn't have greens. Um, and it, it was and if they did, they were just like just this afterthought, like a regular set for anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so we were in there and we were like I was talking about it and we were like, let's run some numbers and see how, th- you know, all back to data. And it was like. There's an opportunity in this store to get an assortment that reflects the people that live in this area Hmm. and that shop in this store. And we need to double down on some of that stuff. So, you know, dollar store concepts were huge. So we actually he's like our CEO was like, take that store. They had actually um, I got they changed my job and promoted me to the VP of category development. So then this is when we started doing this. And so we're looking at the numbers. He's like, take the store down the street. Just take it and do whatever you want to do with it. This is one like, particular Win Dixie store that you're like, yeah, go crazy. Yeah, like take do it. It's not, it's not in the best neighborhood necessarily. Sales are okay. Do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay. So we ran the numbers, looked at all the data, a phenomenal team I had there. And we're like, we should double down on more things that would appeal, like do more family packs and, you know, like just like more of greens and right. like different things. And you got to know your customer. You got to know your customer. And sure enough, we b- built it up and changed the recipe on the fried chicken and <laughs> did all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, this is crazy. And it worked. And huh. it worked so well that they ended up rolling, rolling that concept out. Because when Dixie is in a lot of Southern parts of the country with mm-hmm. a large African-American population and their stores all look the same. So mm-hmm. then the one that I'm really proud of is we also worked on a fresh food store concept, like 
their signature premier store. And it was all about fresh. So typically fresh foods only accounts for like 20, maybe 20%, 30% of your store, maybe. This one, it was like the fresh was like 45, 50% of the store. So it was just beautiful. And we got to design the whole thing. I led the whole project, figured out our assortments, like working with all the buyers. Oh my God, it was so much fun. And that store is a success. So now it's like they're the store that we created. Um, we did that. And then we did a store for a, Hispan- a Hispanic store in, in uh, Miami, a Latinx. It was, hmm. that was done and all catered to that group, that demographic and and talk to them. Like when we did these things, we talked to people and said, what do you want? Like, what do you want to see? What's missing? Right. And oh my God, we had so much fun. And all those concepts are still there and rolling out. They rolled out the, they called it, they made the African-American store concept Harvey's and they rolled those out Hmm. everywhere. That's quite an accomplishment. Don't you think that, I mean, that, that to me is, I mean, the, the, the good retailers today, when you look at the big, you know, national stores, they have to recognize that there isn't one concept that's going to work everywhere, that communities are different and that you have to Mm -hmm. differentiate and think about where you are, not just who you are. Yes. And it's funny that you don't, it's funny that right down the street, a store that many in the organization went to all the time didn't you know but when you look at the the the, if you if you look at the data or if you listen to the consumer they'll tell you what they want and what they need meanwhile you were going back and forth your husband's in minneapolis he's running a nonprofit. somewhere along the line there's a restaurant in there and (laughs) tell me about the restaurant and and you know the decision that like you wanted to to come back and and live at your own house with your husband Oh, can I just tell you, my husband, Ben, is truly an amazing, an amazing man. He really is. I mean, he, he sees things. He's such a visionary. He sees things that I don't see. And usually I'm like the naysayer, like the, why do you want to do that? And he's like, trust, like, mm-hmm. can we try it? Like, come on. So, um, so he, he's always, he's always said that he wanted to or- open up like a little small restaurant or do something like that. And I love food, so I'm like, uh, yeah, let's, you know, yeah. And we were at his high school reunion. I remember at his high school reunion in the parking lot, and we were sitting there, and he's like, I really think we should do it. And I'm like, let's do it. Like, when are we going to do it? Like, let's try. Mm -hmm. And so we opened it up. It was Fat Chance. We opened it up in Brooklyn Park, which is where we live. And, oh, my God, it was so awesome. It was like a sandwich shop, but we had really big sandwiches. And so... (laughs) You got to think about it. You really big sandwiches, but we didn't charge a lot for them because I'm like, like at the core of me is to whom much is given, much is like you can't. I want a family to be able to come in here, and if they want you to eat off of this sandwich and and to be able to have a nice meal out and not have to spend a fortune, like I just couldn't. And then I wanted the men in our program, the that maybe you know hard times to be always able to get a job. So Mm. that's why we came up with the name of Fat Chance so that the men in our program could always have a place to work. And we hired men from our program um, and and had them work. So it was was such an amazing experience. I remember I came, you know, back from Florida because I was going back and forth and the weekend um, when we opened it and, you know, had long lines and great community support. And it was fun. It was fun. 
yeah. there's a but. Did it not last <laughs> real long? What what happened? You know, we did it for two years and you know, we were just talking about it last night, Ben and I, and I'm like, you know, it could have kept going if if either one of us would have had the desire to like you need to be in the restaurant all the time mm-hmm. doing stuff like, you know, I loved meeting the people. Like that was my favorite part. That was part if I when I cried when we closed it, we did close it. Um, it was because I knew that I would meet the interesting people that we met. Plus we had a sandwich called the tractor, which was pulled pork, unduly sausage, coleslaw. And it like that pulled pork. I, I think about it now. We had a special fry seasoning. Oh, girl, don't get me going. Ladies and gentlemen, oh. the smile on her face <laughs> describing this sandwich oh is priceless. God, it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. And so I think about that and I think about the care that we went into. And we probably didn't have the best business model serving the world's biggest sandwiches at the lowest cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't about that. It was about giving people an opportunity. It was about people seeing people that look like them in this space. You know, I want it. I want it. I want black people to see a person that looks like them. Like what like I saw, like when I was a kid, I remember I went to this program for gifted kids and it was like at this big hotel. And 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 I remember I was sitting there and there were all these four, like all these this silverware and all these cups and all these plate. And I'm like, what do you do with all this stuff? Um, where's what fork do I use? And looking around that room and seeing all those kids of color, like it was just like, Oh my gosh, we can do some stuff. Hmm. You can do something. And so you start to, you want people to see you in a different way. So we did a lot in the community. We actually ended up doing outposts at Hennepin technical college um, in Eden Prairie and Brooklyn park, hired a bunch of people of color. Like it was just really important to us. And so that was hard. Did you and Ben invest your own money in in oh, of course. it was all you. Did did you end up at the end of the day, I mean, did you did you lose a lot? Oh, of course we did, <laughs> which is partially why I said we might want to not have to work as hard one day, so we're going to back away. Like the thing that used to keep me up at night was payroll. Mm-hmm. And it was like I can't I got to I mean, there are people that are relying on us, so if we got to cut into our savings and, you know, um, Target was extremely just like I was so blessed there and they were so generous to me when I left and just like they're just it was just amazing. So I'm like, but we got to we got to preserve like we got to put boundaries up for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, we talked to I remember we had a conversation with our financial planner and she was like, there's going to be a time where you're going to just you know, we're going to say this is the amount. And once you get to that amount. That's it. Cause we need, I needed someone to put up a boundary for us because we would just keep going. Cause we were like all in. Mm-hmm. And when she did that and we got close to it and I said, I think this is it. And that's, and that's when we closed. And it was, it was one of the saddest days. I had friends that came, um, people that came, like the restaurant was ridiculously busy, um, during that time. And it was just horrible. Yeah, It was, it was bittersweet, but I'm glad that we did it. But and it seems like that actually kind of was the bridge to get you to think about doing meaningful work in a, in a different way, right? I mean, obviously you were oh. craving some some. I mean, you you found ways to make your work meaningful in every role, but then you took that to the next level when you went to the neighborhood development center. Yes. So, I spent some time. Um, 
just in just in prayer and in submission that's the best like i just i i i knew that there was something else that i was supposed to do i didn't know what it was i tried other things they didn't work and i just got quiet and i um, got in the fetal position and watched a lot of Lifetime movies. <laughs> and, um, it just stayed in prayer. And, and um, I remember one day I was just sitting there and something said, Renee, just check the Minnesota Council of Nonprofits. And I was like, oh, that's weird. That thought came. Okay. And I looked and I was like, I, I'm going to, at that point, I'm like, I'm going to pursue everything that you place in front of me because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing and I want it to be your will and I want to do your work, Lord. I, I just, I can't, it's not about me. I saw this job and I was like, executive director, neighborhood development center. And then I researched it and called my, uh, a good friend of mine that, um, that works at, um, leads the foundation at us bank, Ray Dominski. And she was like, okay, this is a great organization. Renee, I word on the street, because she knows she's been in the nonprofit space for a long time, is this is a really good organization. You should check it out. So I did. I went for my first interview, and she connected me to a person on the board. Um, and I went, talked to them, went to my first interview. Ben came with me and was there like he was waiting in the car when I got out. And I just said to him, I go, I think this is it. And I was like, I was not expecting this. They are in St. Paul. I'm spent 20 plus years in Minneapolis, never really spent any time in St. Paul, but they are so humble. And I wish that for us, when we had our restaurant, because at this time we had closed it, they, we, that we would have known them. Now we so might tell us a little bit about what they, what they do. What was it that appealed to you? Yeah, it's, it's so it's, well, first of all, it's who they focus on. So they, the NDC believes in building communities from within. So they believe in the power of entrepreneurship to like to develop generational wealth, to develop a community. So if you see someone in your neighborhood, like if I think about my neighborhood in Chicago, we didn't have a lot of businesses. You know what I mean? But if mm -hmm. you saw a business owner, they were usually a leader in the community. They were usually doing things for their community so it could build up the neighborhood. So they believe in that and they focus. We focus on the eight, now it's 10, but the eight lowest income areas in the Metro. And we've recently added Brooklyn Park and Brooklyn Center. And it's to provide, um, and like over 80% of our, the people that we support are people of color and over 80% of them are the low to lowest income, mm -hmm. like 86%. Um, so they, they do this by training in community, um, community partners all around the city that they hold trainings in because if you, you're going to start your business in community, you want to go somewhere in your community to learn. They have workshops, free workshops that talk to you about, hey, so you're thinking of starting a business. Here's a couple things to consider. They do training. There's a 12-week training program. And, and then they do technical assistance or business development, if you will. And so help you with get your website up. There's pro bono legal services from F Fredrickson and Byron. Um, accounting help, all kinds of help just to help writing your business plan. That's what you're doing in your training. You write your business plan. Then you get this other support. Then 
we're a community development financial institution, so a CDFI. So then you can get a loan. And the loan is about your character, not your credit, Mm. not how much equity you have. Like it's about let's build a relationship. Let's support you with these other services. Let's get you training. Let's get you some some people that can help you think through your business and let's give you some money. And then the next piece of that is now you need a place where you can actually have your business. And so we provide um, incubator spaces. And so our largest being the Midtown Global Market. So it's just the whole spectrum, fully supported. And our loan default rate, so to put it in perspective, NDC's done 77,000 hours of um, technical assistance in its time. Our loan default rate's like 2%. They've done 7 million, 20, they had done $25 million in loans. Mm-hmm. This year alone, and we can talk a little bit about that because of the pandemic and everything else, they've done six and a half million just in from March to now Hmm. in loans and grants because of everything that's happened. So, you know, they help about 400 entrepreneurs a year go through this process. And total, there's about 600, 600, I wish, 6,000 entrepreneurs in our network um, that we've helped nationwide or it's it's here in here in the twin city okay and so for every dollar that you invest in ndc 40 dollars goes back into the community it's it's a ridiculous like return on investment a ridiculous model yeah in answer to like what you just said our um ceo and founder mike tamale who's truly a visionary i believe started an organization called build from within alliance and that is actually um, like 12 organizations around the country that have adopted the NDC model doing this work in other places. So we are actually national in that respect. Um, but yeah, it's just it, the impact, the impact that they make in the lives of these entrepreneurs is just amazing. Yeah. So, so the people who come to NDC generally do they have a business idea? They just need all the support and the funding? Or sometimes do they come to you and just they want to do something, but they don't. What if you don't know what the idea is? I think, you know, you probably get a combination of both. But with the training, you usually have an idea of what you would want to do. Like in most entrepreneurs have about 25 ideas mm-hmm. of what they want to do. And so you got to say, OK, let's pick one, focus on that. And then you could do the other. Um, yeah, so they they have an idea and they do it, but it's um, the resiliency. You know, to to what I love about it is is these are people that you you don't you know like people are like why bother or you know like there's there are people coming to this country which is what we were what we are what what America is about right like you should be able to come here and do things and make it. And, and we give those people an opportunity and a leg up and that's all they need. They don't, they don't need a hand. They just need a leg up. They just need an opportunity. Mm -hmm. You just need to create a space for them, create some, 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 some resources for them to be able to do what they do and they, and with their spirit and their drive, they do it. And so we just give them some tools and resources and we get out of their way. Well, speaking of resilience, obviously, it's been such a challenging year for everybody in small business, um, in particular for a lot of the startups that you work with at Midtown Global Market, which was right 
in the middle of the action this summer, all of the um, social uprisings and, frankly, damage all around Midtown Global Market following the killing of George Floyd. What was that like and how did you respond as an organization? Man, sorry, I just... um... It's so weird. Like every time I think about, um, I was just, I just have this picture of Mr. Floyd in my head. And I literally, every time I think about it, I just, I get tear up. Like, it's so weird. I could be talking about anything and I just get so emotional about it because it was so horrible. It was so horrible. Um, So I started in September and, you know, cranking through doing things got our strategic plan teams doing the ndc team i i can't even tell you how amazing that team is mm-hmm. and i'm not just saying that no, they are and and i see it so much more even now that we saw suffered adversity so we're cranking along and then march happens and you hear these rumors and you're like thinking oh it's only going to be shut if we do shut down it's only going to be a couple weeks or you know everybody all oh, will be done by easter sure. And so we were all biting into that, but the team quickly got, I I just knew, like, I was like, I said to the team at that time, I said, you know, I know you guys are going to think, because I'm not from the nonprofit space necessarily, right? So I have capitalistic tendencies. (laughs) And I said, you know what, you guys, there's going to be some opportunity that's going to present itself for NDC during this time. And I don't know what that opportunity is going to look like, but we want to be ready. And I go, because people are going to be relying on us and there's people that nobody will be thinking about that we're going to need to be a voice for. And we're going to be needing to 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 stay, close the gap for them. And so every, we did, I didn't know exactly what it meant, but I knew that that we would be needed whenever there's a cri- like crisis. You, you need I knew we would be needed. Sure. And so we ended up like I said we only have this much resources on our team. So we're going to have to really prioritize what we're working on. So everybody's now like, we're going to go where the work is. So the first line of business is we got to get money out. People need money right now. So we got to get the money out. So everybody on the team basically became, (laughs) they worked on the lending team. We called them helpers. And so we reached out, we we, um, de- the state of Minnesota just stepped up in such a big way. I-, I know it was so long ago, but like just trying to get money out and trying to do things. And so we quickly push- pushed the grants out. You know, if you remember, the government yeah. had the loan, all this stuff. And some of it wasn't even in English for people, I mean, in, in other languages. So we had to translate. And we made a big focus to um, make sure that in the midst of all of that, that we were still tra- staying true to the people that we support, mm-hmm. that we were staying true to people of color, that we were staying true to people in our demographics, our neighborhoods, because what was happening is that money was coming in and it was going out so quick that it was about who could get their information in fastest. Like, oh, your accountant can quickly pull those documents together and get it out and you got the loan or you got the grant. Mm-hmm. It's like for our people, they could barely read the application or didn't know what to do or what so we slowed it down so that we could make sure that we could get it to the people in our that you know that we support. Yeah. So we did the lending, then we quickly took our training um, class online and did it in Zoom like everybody else. We started amping up technical assistance and talking about 
while you're in this time, what, what you should be doing, what you should be thinking about, things you should be checking on. Start working on your business now because um, you're not working in your business. So we just really mobilized quickly. And, and man, did the philanthropic community step up and took down barriers to getting money. Like, not like you got to fill out some report like here. And so I just feel like, you know, I'm going to say to you, like, I know that this time has been horrible and it still is, but I just, I'm just blown away by the resiliency of the people that we support, my team and how everybody has come together. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, we had the murder of George Floyd and then it just felt like everything just stopped. And I, I, I honestly didn't know how to go on after that. I was, I'm like, you know, you're running on adrenaline. You're having some success stories because you're keeping some businesses open. And I have my muses of entrepreneurs that I just lean into when I'm having a bad day. I'll read a note from them um, of gratitude. And that was hard. And it was hard on my team. And I just, I just had to give them the space to process because yeah sometimes it feels like all the work you're doing is for nothing and but it it is it is so valuable to to so many people and you've you've helped so many how 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 do you how how do you kind of summon the the courage and the the words of wisdom because i know you have them and i know how how helpful and impactful you've been to so many in your network. Oh, thank you. I, um, first of all, it's not about me, right? Like, so I, um, I'm in prayer a lot in, in my devotionals and I have a great Bible study that gives me a lot of support and an amazing, amazing, um, network of friends, the, <laughs> Four friends that I started with at Target are still in my life today and provide me immense support. Hmm. Um, and then my family and my. So I just I lean into others. And during that time, I just knew that we were bigger, we're better than this. We can do better. Yeah. We can do better as a country. We can do better. And and the fact that. People were, the Midtown Global Market, we co-owned with the Cultural Wellness Center, eight blocks away from George Floyd, where George Floyd was murdered, and people were trying to burn it down. And there are literally people that, not only there's entrepreneurs that are immigrants and just trying to make a living for their family and provide some generational wealth, there's people that live on top of the building, and they're literally trying to burn it down. Yeah. And I knew it wasn't people from our neighborhoods. I knew it wasn't people from our communities because they know what that market's about. It's been around for f- almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. And and so I knew, and I was just so, I, we were stayed up all night. I remember me and Mike and Ben Johnson from our team and Gene Johnson, who's in real estate, we were all on the phone like all night. And Mike Gozi, who's on our board and just like, and just like, and displeased. And then Mike's out in the streets, like protecting, cause he's protecting in, in the indigenous community. And just like, it was so weird and things are on fire and it was just horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. So, and so confusing. I, and it's just like compounding oh, the, 
Yes. The sadness. These businesses, these businesses that are burning on Lake Street. I know we know these people. They were they were our clients. They were people that we helped. We knew they were they were like they were their stories. And it was just horrible. So then I go to the next day, like, um, you know, because it went on for a couple of days. But one of the days I went and I went I'm like, I got to go see the market. And, And what was, you know, like it's the thing, like the human spirit. So the people like came, um, like people like in the market, people that lived there, some of the entrepreneurs protected the market hmm. and stopped them from burning it down, protected it. Amazing. So the next day I wanted to go and just see it. So I go to the market and there's all these people with brooms and mops. Hmm. Like I'm standing there and I'm just like outside the market, there's a makeshift because like grocery stores are burnt down, stores are burnt down, and there's a makeshift like food shelf, like just take what you need. And people just coming there bringing food, and it just it gave me so much hope. Yeah. It gave me so much hope because the market was still standing, and we still care. And you know, I just I to be honest with you, I just expressed that hope. I just kept sharing. I was very. Um, I learned a lot from Brene Brown. I was hmm. very vulnerable. I was very transparent. I was very honest about what I was feeling and how this was impacting me as a black woman to see this and what we could do. What can we do in this moment? And once again, we dug in, stepped up, we got a legal clinic going with the help of Fredrickson and Byron. We did, I mean, Got the money flowing again, and 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 we're cranking through, and we're working now with a team of people that's really helping us. Um, we got because we reduced the rents at the market. We did that actually earlier. Um, getting new people in the market, people that had businesses that were burned down. The Midtown Eye Eye Clinic is is there, and and now in the market. And mm. so we just kept going. We just we just keep going because I know we're bigger than this. Yeah. I know we're better than this, and we keep getting so much support like just to get the opportunity to meet you and to <laughs> well, tell the story that's nothing but but uh, <laughs> so it it is so unbelievable to think about what you already were dealing with and then to 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 have it all again just when you think it it can't get any worse and it does what give us just a sense right now when you think about all the businesses that you work with Renee I mean, are most of them surviving? Are they going to get through this time? What what can you tell us about the state of a lot of these small businesses, particularly in this extremely vulnerable area of Minneapolis? You know, I think, you know, and there's just all over, right? Like not only there, um, St. Paul, everywhere. Um, I think they're doing, their, they're holding on. They're, they're They're doing the best they can. The fact that, you know, more help's not on the way from the government is is disappointing. Um, the state's stepping up in a big way to do more. Um, we've been so blessed to have support from foundations and individuals um, to get help. We actually have a plan um, where we're um, raising money for Midtown Global Market for operating because we've reduced the rents and we still got to pay, keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, direct um, money, if we can, to the businesses uh, as best we can. And then some innovation. Because, like, I think, you know, a lot of these businesses weren't doing well before. And I know as a restaurant, like, you're always one step away. It feels like, like, <laughs> seriously, one payroll away from 
from not making it right yeah. so you're a lot of them weren't but i really want us to think about like revenue generation what that could look like so we instantly like put together a program called the tech pack which was to get these entrepreneurs set up from a technology perspective get them a website that they didn't have to pay for so we got some funding from a lot of great sources to do that work and then so the tech pack helps them get their website social media any marketing like all that stuff that we pay for so that's important and and um and then the other piece of it is the piece that we don't talk about a lot is the mental health mm. piece right like the whole entrepreneur like we there was a person on our team natalia who when i first met her she was like we got to focus on the whole entrepreneur right now we only focus on part of the you know like the business piece which is fine but so we've started this program called mindset reset which pairs um, culturally specific therapists, we're not the therapist by any stretch, with entrepreneurs who want to take us up on it, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a stigma in the, um, especially in the black community sometimes around mental mental health, but we're calling it, you know, mental, you know, like what the mental wellness, whatever you want to call it. But um, th we think that's important, yeah, right? For sure. So these, they're doing, they're doing, they're, they're surviving, but it's really hard. And, and, this virus is no joke, right? It's, 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 it's relentless and it's indiscriminate. Like it doesn't, it doesn't care. And, and I know that we got to do things to try to stop it, but the, you know, this, this recent, this last shutdown and of us not being able to have any seating in the market. And we were just getting, going. we had just done the black flea market, which mm -hmm. was amazing. And we, I, cause I really want to have more um, black entrepreneurs in the marketplace and, showing what their stuff and showing what they got. And we did had a great event and, you know, we can't do things like that because, you know, you can't bring all people together like that. So we used to do so many cultural events in the market um, and bringing people together and teaching people, educating people. Um, we, 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 we can't do those, but they are surviving and they're resilient and they're, and they're adapting. Like, I love it. Like, you know, like we got entrepreneurs that are delivering food on bicycles hmm. We did at the time a, a program with um, Abbott Northwestern, who's a great, Alina is a great partner to us. And we did Mills for Medics where um, Noman from our team organized this whole thing where the entrepreneurs in the, the restaurants um, got food to the frontline workers, like just, you know, delivered, delivered meals to them mm -hmm. um, to show our appreciation. And we raised money for that. And now I think, you know, it's people coming together, Target stepping up in a big way, right. helping us redesign our website and redes think of our space, like on the main level navigation. You know, we're thinking of the head. We're going to make this. We're going to survive <laughs> this. We're going to get through this. How do we look? What do we do differently for the future so that we can, you know, like I said on to you guys, so we can not only survive, but thrive. And these people are coming together to help us in a big way think more strategically about things for our entrepreneurs about things as our for our organization right a lot of different nonprofits have stepped up or and, and corporations this year has forced so much change on you are there are there bright spots in that are there things that you will oh. take you know going forward that that overall will help the mission and help a lot of the entrepreneurs you work with hands down like my team, the way they show up every day, even though it's hard, the way they never give up, like they don't give up on any of these entrepreneurs. 
They don't give up. The people that have come along beside us to say this is important and not only donated their money and their time, there's a group that's helping us with MGM. The resiliency of these entrepreneurs just keep trying new things. Like, do you know how hard that is to mm-hmm. like have your whole business like model change, conti- like uh, all of a sudden, and then you got to try to navigate it and you don't even have the resources. Right. So the resiliency. Yes. And the people that came with their mops and brooms to help, I hope they come back <laughs> to the market to shop. Yeah. Um, but then it's like these, the, like people that like were sitting there watching this and didn't know what to do. Right. Like there's so many people that are like, I want to help. I don't know what to do. And some of those people wrote us checks with heartfelt letters, which we are grateful for. My talk 107 did a whole campaign for us, which we are eternally grateful for to showcase our entrepreneurs and, and did some things like that. Target and other corporations, United Health Group, Optum, stepping up, like they're helping us. Optum's helping us with our mental health um, uh, mindset reset program. And then Target, giving our entrepreneurs, our little entrepreneurs in the market, a platform on shipped. Mm -hmm. So, because we got retailers in there that, you know, yeah, you could do a lot of things with the restaurants, but the retailers were getting left behind. Right. And, and, so and these are have. these are not uh, businesses for the most part that were set up with a slick website where they could just pivot no. to e-commerce. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 They didn't. And this is a way for them to get access to a broader audience that like their wares from Darmadina, his wares that are from Morocco. And we got a video of them thanking us for doing that. And it's just so I think, you know, I I, I know that we're going to all make it through this and we're going to have a lot of lessons, but, you know, I just think there's just the people in this state, the people in our country, like when they put their mind to something, when they want to come together around a good thing, they can do it. And I, and I, and I, I've just been like, I just had a conversation with the person that funded us the other day. And I was just like, it was so beautiful. And, and I think, you know, part of it is we've been getting a lot of national recognition, which we're grateful for um, as an organization, because NDC has been so behind the scenes um, and wanting to put our entrepreneurs out there. But like I said to the team, this is our time. Like we need to tell the stories of these entrepreneurs. So we've been legislating and we spoke. I spoke in front of the legislature for the first time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, was like, I bet you were great. <laughs> What do you say? No, I was just I was just like, I'm not standing here for me. I'm standing here on the shoulders and on behalf of these people that are just struggling. And um, and they've they've responded. But man, yeah, it's tough. But I know. I know that we will get through this. And I am going to do and I know my team will do everything we can. Everything we can to keep these people moving to keep these entrepreneurs going. Um, and even in our program that my husband and I still have our nonprofit, same thing, mm-hmm. not giving up, not giving up on those men and that program um, on making sure that they have a house to live in during this time and, and that they're staying safe. Um, yeah. I think about the marketing that we've done. We got a great partnership with Nima Seeger and they like our, all hours of the night trying to think of things like everybody's just all in. It's not half like Target didn't show up half. Hmm. They showed up all in with their great resources. All these different places are showing up. U.S. Bank 
had a call with them yesterday. All in. Wells Fargo. All in. Everybody's all in. It's amazing. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I, do you believe, Renee, and I mean, I think this is one of the things that, that I worry about, that everybody has shown up in crisis and that is wonderful. <laughs> Will they still be there when things get a little bit more back to normal? How do we make sure that, that this isn't, you know, a, a moment that we really are making progress and change? Mm. You know, I, you know, I think from a social perspective, I don't know, like I, I worry that we'll forget, but I do know that people were awakened. I knew, I know there was an awakening when you watched a man get murdered screaming for his mom hmm. right mm -hmm. um i know there was an awakening i know that that touched people deeply i i know it did because i know how it touched me and um so i just hope that we don't go backwards like i just hope that we can forge a new path and i know like i'm standing besides like i'm in rooms with people like people on your list that are doing this work day in and day out to make sure that we don't forget and that we remember and that and that that we 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 do something different and that we go about it differently. So I, I feel hopeful for that because I know that I'm not giving up. There's organizations like ours across the city that are doing amazing work. There's people coming together in new and interesting ways that maybe might not have partnered before. Right. Um, and I think I think I'm hopeful for that. But I. I, I, I think that we won't be the cause of the moment, right? Like it might be, you know, we, you never know, like we joke, it'll be saving the whales next year or whatever, like it's, which is important, right? But I, we might not be, but for me, like as a person with a, the background that I have, I'm like, what we have to do, our North Star is, is those that we support. Our North Star will always be the entrepreneurs that we support. So what do they need? And you know what? I'm not a, I don't have a scarcity mentality. I don't, I don't, I think there's abundant resources. There's abundance. And so it's just up to me and my team for us to get creative, to be innovative, to be curious and go seek out those opportunities. And it might look different. The, the people that step up, like the people that are stepping up and surrounding us at MGM, they look different maybe than we thought they would in the past, but they're stepping up. And I think it's up to us to continue to tell the stories, which is why I'm so grateful for today, to tell the stories so that people can continue, like, so that we don't forget, right? That's how you, rem you remember things as you keep telling the stories. We got pictures. I was looking at um, Time Magazine's, you know, 2020 review and just seeing those pictures again on the summer of the protest just brought back so many memories. We just, we can't forget. Yep, absolutely. Telling the stories, that is, that is, that is one thing we can do. And thank you for doing it so well and for, for giving voice to so many who need it in our community right now. Renee thank Dossman, you. you're amazing. Ah, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate this. I appreciate this time and, um, this opportunity and yeah i'm just grateful well 
as you heard, Renee is on the ground doing the work, trying to help entrepreneurs in need. But I think it's really important to get some perspective on how we got to this place of having such disparities among entrepreneurs of different races. Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Associate Dean Nakisha Lewis is the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Ambassador and knows a whole lot about the research on disparities among entrepreneurs. Nakisha, what can you tell us? Well, when we really start to dig into the data, we recognize this isn't something that happened overnight, right? Some of the research has shown us that minority-owned businesses are, what, three times more likely to be denied credit. And in many cases, rarely are they funded for venture cap- by venture capitalists, hmm. right? We look at some of the other data that's out there that shows that people are denied loans more often. Um, many women and minority business owners pay higher interest rates in comparison to their white counterparts. Mm-hmm. If we dig even deeper, we can look at and see that there's discrimination that's out there. And so there's a lot of different factors going in that changes that scenario, not simply, right, this idea that the different groups are working harder but this idea that there are just distinct differences and gaps in how they're treated as entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's more than than not necessarily having friends and family to lean on. It's so many systemic points of racism, really. And I would even go and say even further, how did we get to the place that their friends and family aren't able to perhaps give the loans Mm -hmm. for them to start those businesses? And that comes from a history of being denied wealth and certain experiences and access to capital even early on. So what do we do? We're, we're, we're spending more time finally talking about the disparities. How do we fix it? I think it leans into something that Renee said earlier, right? Making sure that we offer the tools and the resources and a fair chance at capital to these entrepreneurs, ensuring that they have services and programs, incubation programs in place to support their ideas and these excellent opportunities of changing the world through their entrepreneurial spirit. I think when we look at programs and collectives like the Black Business Support Collective that the NDC is a part of and the work that they're doing to support along um, is definitely something of where it starts. So some of these larger organizations that recognizes that there are disparities in their systems, challenge those systems, begin to change them so they're more fair and equitable. And when you find the areas of growth, do something about it. Mm -hmm. One of the only other things that we want to keep in mind is as we're designing solutions for these entrepreneurs, that they should reflect the local reality of those entrepreneurs versus some sort of general commonalities between all entrepreneurs. So making sure that your programming that you have in place really speaks to what's culturally relevant and important to those groups. Well, great perspective. So much to think about and and obviously lots more to keep discussing. Thanks so much for your time and perspective. Thank you so much. So excited about what we'll be doing next. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to By All Means. And thank you to our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you want to check out other episodes and know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. If you're listening on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it if you take a minute to rate and review us. Thanks again for listening to By All Means. work.
to make by all means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed By All Means. Oh, 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 oh,